so you can follow along with us. While you're turning there, I just want to make a couple of real quick announcements, and that is on Friday night, there is um, the Young Married Couples uh, Fellowship here. 6.30 to 8 o'clock, we will provide um, child care for that uh, so young couples can come and get to know one another. You can bring a dessert if you'd like to, and it's an opportunity for you to get to know some other couples here in the fellowship because as the church does grow and as we have multiple services, it gets a little harder to get to know other couples and stuff, and this is a great way for you to be able to do that. Also, the Youth Hayride, um, they are going to be mentioning that to the youth upstairs and that'll be at the Banowitz uh, parents at 5.30 to about 7.30, and uh, they're going to go on a hayride, and then they're going to have a bonfire, and there will be chili for them, hot dogs, s'mores, and uh, so they'll be fed, and just a great time. It's supposed to be good weather on Sunday, and uh, so Sunday, 5.30, uh, the hayride for the youth, and uh, so maps to the Banowitz out at the um, information desk and a sign-up so we can kind of get an idea how many kids are going to be out there. So that's coming up on the 14th Sunday. Um, address to the Banowitz in your bulletin and maps to their house. Ladies, don't forget Fall Chili Supper on the 22nd, and that will be here at the church, so you can sign up for that, and that is all in your bulletin. And also we're uh, redoing the directory. So if you want to be in the church directory, and the church directory is for ministry purposes. It's not to put you on any kind of solicitation list. Um, and so it's for us to be able to get a hold of you and for us to be able to get a hold of each other for ministry purposes. So you can fill out a registration there at the information desk. Also, don't want to forget about Koinonia on the 20th. Uh, Jerry and Sandy Sanders host that. There are other things going on during the week, young adults on Thursday night, um, men's study Tuesday nights, um, all kinds of things taking place here at Calvary Chapel. So take a look at your bulletin. If you haven't done so, write those things down on the calendar that are taking place here um, as there's lots that is happening, an opportunity for you to continue to just get to know people and to grow in God's word. Um, we do want to finish 1 Kings chapter 22, will be the last chapter of this book, and we are looking at this portion of scripture, as we do, that is uh, in that time of history where Ahab is the king of the ten northern uh, tribes, he has the ten inheritance that he is ruling over, and called the house of Israel, and Ahab has been the focus of uh, our study since chapter 16, since he's come on the scene to rule over the house of Israel. And as you've been with us in our study of 1 Kings, or if you have been one that has read the book yourself, you know that when the, the ten northern tribes broke away uh, from Judah, Judah and Benjamin or make up the southern uh, part of Israel, which is called the house of Judah, uh, we know that the house of Israel had all kings that were evil. They were ones that were full of idol worship, plunged the nation deep into idol worship. Jeroboam, the first king of Israel, he's the one that built a, a temple dedicated to the golden calf in the northern part of the country there at the base of Mount Hermon, uh, at Dan, and then also in Bethel. And since that time, the nation has been involved in idol worship, forsaken the Lord, and the Lord has been bringing his prophets along to try to get the leaders of Israel and the people to turn back to him. But it hasn't happened. And we know that Ahab, when he came on the scene, as we saw in chapter 16, that he is one that plunged the nation deep into Baal worship. And he would build Samaria uh, and make it the capital of Israel. And he would also build a temple dedicated to um, the false god Baal. And so Baal worship is pre predominant here in the house of Israel, along with Astaroth and other idols that they are worshiping. And Ahab is a very wicked king, and his wife Jezebel as well. She's a very violent woman. She has already killed some of the sons of the prophets that we have read. And also she is one that tried to kill Elijah. She threatened him. And you recall in chapter 19 that Elijah took off and went to the mountain of God, and there the Lord ministered to him. But also we saw last week in chapter 21 that she's the one that carried out that plot to have Naboth killed as it was her husband Ahab that wanted his land for a vegetable garden and he said no I, I'm not going to give you my inheritance and it was Jezebel that that made this plot to where he would be stoned to death accused wrongly of blasphemy against God and you recall that as we have seen very clearly that even though Ahab 
was a very wicked king, God has still reached out to Ahab, trying to get Ahab to repent and turn to him. We saw that with the drought that was three and a half years. It didn't rain in the nation for that length of time. And you recall that when the children of Israel were at Mount Sinai, when they came out of Egypt, that God made a covenant with them. And the Lord said, that if you follow after me, then I'm going to bless you. If you don't follow after me, then there's going to be curses. And we see that in the covenant that God made with the house of, of Israel, or that is the nation of Israel. And he said that part of the curses would be there would be drought. There would be locust infestations. So a drought came to try to get the people to realize they needed to turn back to the Lord, but they wouldn't do that. And then in chapter 18, we saw that it was Elijah. In all this darkness, God brings a light. And the light was this, this man uh, of, of God that uh, would call down fire from heaven, and he did that on Mount Carmel. As on Mount Carmel, he issued that challenge to the prophets of Baal. And it was Elijah that called down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice the wood of the sacrifice, and it was shown that God truly, that he is the Lord, and he would put to death the prophets of Baal. But yet we see that Ahab, even though the power of God was demonstrated very clearly in ending the drought, it began to rain and calling down fire from heaven, Ahab refused to turn to the Lord. We know that in chapter 20, as we saw a couple weeks ago, that it is Ahab that had the king of Syria that would surround him. Now, at this time in history, as you go through the Old Testament, you'll read about Syria, and then later on we're going to read about the Assyrians, and sometimes people get it mixed up. You see, in the world history, there was about six world powers that came on the scene. There was, first of all, Egypt. That was the world-dominating power and empire during the time of, of Moses, you know, when the children of Israel were under bondage for 400 years. So they were the world-dominating empire at that time. It would be Moses that would leave Egypt and uh, part the Red Sea. The Egyptians would send their chariots into the Red Sea, and the seas would, um, or the waters would recede, and then the Egyptians were drowned, and they began to decline in power. They were still a powerful empire, but eventually what we see in history is that after the reign of Solomon, that it is Israel at this time in their history that is fighting Syria. Syria is just north of Israel, and Syria is uh, in that area, which Syria is today, pretty much kind of the same borders. And so we've seen that Syria has been fighting with Israel. They surrounded uh, Samaria and besieged it, as we saw in chapter 20. And it was Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, that was threatening Ahab. And God, in his grace and in his mercy, still had his hand that was reached out to Ahab. And he said, Ahab, I am not going to deliver you into the hands of Syria, but I'm going to bring victory to you, even though you are greatly outnumbered. And the Lord did that not only once, but twice. And Ahab once again saw the truth of God's word proclaimed to him and the power of God being demonstrated in saving the nation. But yet Ahab still continued to refuse to turn to the Lord. So we saw that um, it was last week that after Naboth was killed, that it was the word that came to Ahab, that Ahab, because you have done this wicked thing, you and Jezebel, you are going to die and your household. And that's what we're going to see now as we open up chapter 22. As we conclude 1 Kings, we read in verse 1, Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. So there was a ceasefire between Israel and its northern neighbor, Syria. What we will see later on is another world empire is going to come on the scene that is called the Assyrians. And the Assyrians will come down and they will defeat Syria. So don't get those two uh, nations mixed up. And then they will also come into Israel uh, eventually and carry the 10 northern tribes off into captivity. So at this time, Syria and Israel, they have this, this ceasefire going on. And we know that as it does for these three years, it came to pass, verse 2 tells us, in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth and Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. So Jehoshaphat 
who is the king of Judah at this time. We know, as we're going to learn at the end of the chapter, that Jehoshaphat, he was a good king. He was the son of Asa. You recall that we looked at the reign of Asa in Judah. Uh, Asa reigned for almost 40 years. And Asa was one that did right in the sight of the Lord. He, he would um, be one that uh, got rid of the perverted people in the nation. He was one that brought reforms to the nation. And also, you recall the story of Asa, that it was the million-man Ethiopian army that wanted to come and attack Judah. And Asa, at that time, cried out to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord for help, and, and the Lord delivered Judah from that overwhelming army that was coming against them and saved Judah. And for 35 years, we know that Asa was ruling, the nation was being blessed. Uh, we also know that, uh, that uh, the people in Israel seeing that in the 10 northern tribes were wanting to come down because they were being, you know, seeing the blessings of Judah. And what happened was that the king of Israel at that time, Baasa, what he does is he builds this fortified city right on the border of Judah in Israel. It, it was an act of war. And what Asa did, as you recall, that he came up with this plan. He took some of the gold and the silver out of the temple there in Jerusalem. He paid off the evil king of Syria and said, will you attack Israel, you know, up north there and get these guys off my doorsteps? So, you know, um, that was a brilliant plan. It worked. And that's what the king of Syria did. He said, I'll take your gold and silver. But you remember that it was the prophet that came to Asa and said, Asa, why did you do this? Why didn't you seek the Lord? You came up with this plan. It was a brilliant plan militarily. It made sense logically, but you did not seek the Lord. And nothing is too hard for the Lord. And the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards him. And I think that it's worth reminding us at this time in our study that the Lord, he sees your heart. And he desires to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart are loyal towards him. And whatever it is that you may be facing tonight, whether it seems small or whether it seems like a million-man army is coming against you, trust in the Lord and turn to him because he's the one that desires to work in your life. You see, what can happen is that after we journey with the Lord for uh, a number of years or we get older in our lives, we can become self-reliant and we start to, to depend on our own intelligence and wisdom and our own togetherness rather than depending totally on the Lord. And, and Asa, why did you do this? And so Asa became diseased in his feet and he ended up dying. And I'll tell you the truth on this. One way to truly be defeated is that you just start relying on your own wisdom and your own self-reliance and your own togetherness and not rely on the Lord in every area of your life. And the Lord desires to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards him. So that was the, the father of, of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is a good king. Now here's the interesting thing. We see that he goes up to, to see Israel, and it says that he went down to visit the king of Israel. And sometimes people ask, what do you mean he went down? Um, whenever you read in the scriptures, and particularly the Old Testament, but all throughout the scriptures, when you talk about Judah and when you talk about Jerusalem, it's always going up to Jerusalem. The reason for that is because of the preeminence of Jerusalem being God's you know, holy city, and it's that way spiritually in the scripture, but also really geographically as well, because any direction that you go to Jerusalem, you're going up. You're going from the west, the Mediterranean Sea, up to the mountains that surround Jerusalem. If you go from the east, you go from the lowest point on the earth, the Dead Sea, a short distance, 30 miles to Jerusalem, and it's the same with the south and with the north. So geographically, you're going up to Israel, um, or the, excuse me, to Jerusalem. So oftentimes you'll see that term, he went down to Israel, but he went up north to see Israel, to see Ahab, and here's Ahab. Ahab wants to take Ramoth and Gilead back. Ramoth and Gilead was about 40 miles east of Jerusalem, which was on the east side of the Jordan River. Now you recall in chapter 20 that it was the king of Syria that what he did was he made a peace treaty with Ahab. When Ahab defeated him for the second time, Ahab should have done away with the king of Syria, 
But instead, what Ahab did is he made a peace treaty with his enemy. And you recall, if you were with us in our study, that the prophet came to Ahab and said, because you have done this thing, your life is going to be required of you, Ahab. So twice Ahab has been told that you're going to die because of your disobedience. Judgment is going to come to you. And it was Ahab that made a peace treaty with the enemy. And so again, don't make a peace treaty with the enemy. The enemy Satan, if you begin to compromise and make a peace treaty with him, do you know that he's not going to keep his word? Or that he's not going to, you know, uh, make your life any better? He's going to be lying to you. He's going to deceive you because he is a liar, he's a murderer, and he's a deceiver. So never make a peace treaty with the enemy, all right? Don't go into compromising. Don't go into, well, okay, I'll just give in a little bit. But here Ahab he made that peace treaty with Ben-Hadad, and Ben-Hadad said, we'll give you the cities uh, that my father took from you, and they'll go back to you. Well, Ramoth in Gilead was one that belonged to Israel that Syria had taken, and apparently, um, you know, Ben-Hadad did not give it back. So he's wanting to go to war. Jehoshaphat is there. Jehoshaphat uh, he asked, will you join in with us? Will you align with us? Will you yoke with us to fight the Syrians? And he says, Jehoshaphat, I will do that. My people are like your people. My horses are your horses. Our chariots are, you know, as your chariots and all of this. Now, a couple things here that is important for us to really ponder and think about before we move on. Jehoshaphat, even though he was a good king, he always wasn't the wisest king, I don't think. Because he had this, for some reason, tendency to want to yoke himself with the evil kings of Israel. He does with Ahab here. And we have seen that Ahab, of all the kings that have come in the northern part of Israel, he's been the worst. And here is Jehoshaphat. Why is he all of a sudden wanting to yoke himself with, align himself with the king of Israel? And he's going to do the same thing when Ahab dies and his son Azariah takes over. He's going to yoke with him in this business venture of sending ships you know, off to go get gold. And he will also do uh, the same thing with the king of Israel after Azariah to go to war against the Moabites. And Jehoshaphat would do this when he shouldn't have. You know that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14, verse 14, that it gives us a very important spiritual truth, and it's simply this, that don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What does light have to do with darkness? And Paul was writing to the Corinthian believers in that because there were those who were false, false prophets, even though they were calling themselves super apostles and prophets and most eminent apostles, and uh, listened to us, and they came, you know, with their razzmatazz and eloquent speech and their, you know, great appearance, and they were saying, don't listen to Paul. They were undermining Paul's ministry. Paul, you know, look at his appearance. He's just wearing, you know, sweaty tent clothes and, uh, you know, making clothes, and his speech is contemptible. And Paul was saying, listen, you guys are receiving these false apostles and prophets. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, in that, it does not mean that we don't talk to unbelievers. It does not mean that we don't care about them or pray for them or don't have anything to do with them. But we need to be wise in that. We don't want to be yoked with them. And you know what a yoke is. In, in ancient times, they would have a, a yoke uh, that they would yoke two animals together and they would travel together. They would work together. They were teamed together, and it's the same concept spiritually. As a matter of fact, in the law, when you read the book of Deuteronomy, it was the Lord that told the children of Israel, listen, don't be unequally yoked in that. You don't mix wool and linen together when you, you know, make the priestly garments. Only what you're to do is make linen, but don't mix in wool together. Don't plant your fields with different kinds of seeds. You don't yoke a donkey and an ox together. It's not going to work. They're not going to travel together. So the Old Testament talks about this mixture. And you and I as Christians, you know what? We are going to witness to those unbelievers. We're going to pray for those that we care about in our family, that we go to school with, those who live next door to us. We should be praying for them and sharing with them. The holidays will be coming up. We'll be thinking about that. Some of you are probably making plans already for Thanksgiving and for you know, Christmas and New Year's. And you're going to be spending time with people at work, 
uh, that are unbelievers and family members, and certainly you want to be a light to them. But it's very important that we're not yoked to those that we're traveling together spiritually, traveling together. For example, that for those of you who are single, don't be dating an unbeliever because you are being yoked together with them. And you're unequally yoked together is what's happening. And so make sure that you're wise. Make sure that you don't get into missionary dating. Well, he'll turn around or she'll, you know, come around. If, if I just, you know, be a light to them. Well, be a light to them. But be careful in the relationships that you develop. Business partners, where you're traveling together in business, uh, because that unbeliever may not have the same morals or perhaps you know, the same beliefs and, and integrity, godly integrity, that you want to have and should have in your business. So here was Jehoshaphat. Why was he leaking himself? Why was he yoking himself with this unbeliever and going to war together? I think that Jehoshaphat, that he really wanted the two nations to come together once again. He wanted them to come together, and he's doing this. Also, what we're going to see, that it's going to be Jehoshaphat, that his son is going to marry Ahab's daughter, and we're going to see that it's going to bring a whole lot of trouble to Judah when we get into 2 Kings. So he says, yeah, we'll yoke together, but at least Jehoshaphat, he shows some wisdom as we continue reading in verse 5. Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. And then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, is there still uh, not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. And then the king of Israel called an officer and said, bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. So Jehoshaphat, at least he makes a smart move by saying, why don't we inquire of the Lord? And again, to remind us that every time that, that we have decisions to make, that we need to inquire of the Lord. And that's why devotions are so very important that we start our day by getting our marching orders. Lord, would you have me go in this direction? Would you have me participate in this? Would you have me talk to this person? Lord, you guide me and direct me. And the Lord promises that as we go to him, as Isaiah chapter 30 says, and in quiet and, and, and will be, you know, and will be our strength and our confidence, confidence that the Lord will be a voice behind us saying, this is the way walk in it. And it's very important. I believe that the Lord cares about the details of our days. He wants to guide us and direct us in every area of our lives and throughout the day and to be sensitive to his leading. And that's why it's so important that we be ones, as I mentioned, that we start our day with the Lord. And I think that where a lot of Christians perhaps will be inconsistent or kind of struggle with is getting into a routine and having a quiet time, having devotions, going to the Lord. But it's very important and as you do, you're going to see the Lord working. You're going to be sensitive to the leading of the Lord. Your heart is going to be soft before the Lord throughout the days. You're just, you know, desiring to, to, you know, hear from him. You see, it isn't that you just have devotions and you run out the door and you leave the Lord. He's going with you. Be sensitive to his leading. And let me tell you, that's what makes being a Christian so wonderful and even adventurous because the Lord is directing you and guiding you. So Jehoshaphat says, we need to inquire the Lord. Is this something that he wants us to do? So here is Ahab. He says, yeah, I got these 400 guys. And they come, and, and they are being, you know, ones that are prophesying. Yeah, you, you know, go up against Syria, and, and the Lord will deliver Syria into your hands and deliver it into the hands of the king. And Jehoshaphat, he's kind of looking at this, and he's probably thinking, I'm not so sure about these guys. Don't you have a real prophet of the Lord? And here is Ahab. He says, yeah, you know, I do have a real prophet, uh, whatever that it is, that there was something about these 400 guys that, that just, you know, was wrong in Jehoshaphat's sight. Don't you have a prophet of the Lord? Yeah, there is a prophet of the Lord. But this guy never prophesies anything good about me. And I hate him. And it is Jehoshaphat that says, 
you know, I want to hear from him. So that's what they do. They bring him. In verse 10, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at the threshing floor, the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. And so here is, you know, the king of Israel, Ahab, and Jehoshaphat, and they're priestly robes they're sitting at the gate of the city whenever you read in the old testament that they're sitting at the gate of the city in ancient times that was a position of leadership so here they are in their priest you know kingly robes they're waiting to hear they're listening to these 400 guys verse uh, 11 says that Zedekiah, the son of kenna had made horns of iron for himself and he said thus says the lord with these you shall gore the syrians until they are destroyed and all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. So they, as they put on their, their robes and stuff, all of a sudden these 400 guys and this guy Zedekiah, he's getting all dramatic and theatrics and, and they're working themselves up and you know, pretending like they're a bull going to gore the Syrians and, and all these theatrics are going on and everything. And thus says the Lord, you shall go up against you know, Syria and all of this and you'll defeat them and the Syrians are going to be destroyed and they're, you know, it's looking good. I'm sure Ahab is enjoying it. But here's the thing, that they're speaking falsely. One of the concerns that I see in the church today, and it's just an honest evaluation, is that there are going to be a lot of guys that are on the TV set or behind the pulpits or even in very large ministries that are saying, thus saith the Lord, and boy, they can get the people all worked up. There's a lot of theatrics but there's not good theology. There's a lot of drama, there's a lot of hype, there's a lot of stuff, and thus saith the Lord and things like this. And people get worked up very, very easily. But you and I are called to have discernment. And one of the things that we're going to see in our study of 1 John is we're going through 1 John on Sunday morning. is John says, test the spirits to see if they are of God. And the way to test the spirits to see if they are of God is you filter it through the word of God. And there can be a lot of hoopla and hype and all of this, but that doesn't necessarily mean that what is being said, that it's going to come true. And there's a lot of guys that will, you know, very good. They're very persuasive. They have a lot of theatrics. They can work the people up in a frenzy. But are they speaking on behalf of the Lord? If it contradicts what God's word has to say, it's not true. If they are speaking forth a predictive sense of prophecy and it doesn't come to pass, we know that the word of God says, according to the book of Deuteronomy, that any prophet that speaks on behalf of the Lord will be 50% correct? No. 70% correct? No. 100% correct. Not 99% correct, but 100% correct. And that's what makes the Bible so absolutely amazing is that there are hundreds upon hundreds of prophecies in the Bible. Do you realize that there are over 300 prophecies concerning Jesus' first coming? And every single one of those prophecies were fulfilled to the letter. So Jesus, or the Word of God, concerning whether it's the coming of Jesus or you know, the second coming of Jesus Christ, puts a very, very high standard, a perfect standard, and that is anyone who says that they are speaking on behalf of the Lord, that if it comes to pass, if it is according to the nature and character of God and correlates with the word of God, then it is true. But if they're speaking in a predictive sense and it doesn't come to pass, then either God made a mistake or they made a mistake. And we know that God doesn't make mistakes, all right? So they made a mistake. And I am reminding you of that because there's a whole lot of thus saith the Lord's that are going on and the things are not coming to pass, and then they try to excuse it away, or whatever it might be. I've had people come to me and say, thus saith the Lord. For example, I've had people say, there's going to be a blizzard next month, and it's going to shut the city down for you know, a week, and you better prepare, and you better store up water, and you better you know, get a generator and all this, because it's going to be bad, and the Lord has shown me this vision and all of this. And um, you know, the next month comes along, and it's a heat wave. It doesn't happen. Well, they didn't hear from the Lord. And they can get people's attention and, and draw a lot of people's you know, ears to themselves and tickle their ears. Listen, folks, be careful. And what is being said? And prophecy and the foretelling of God's word and the foretelling of God's word. 
You match it up with the Word of God. It won't contradict what God's Word has to say. If it's, you know, foretelling God's Word, a predictive sense, it has to come to pass. And here these guys are, you know, working themselves in a frenzy, you know, theatrics and all of this. We're going to go to Syrians. But we see here that verse 13, or uh, the messenger who had gone and called for Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encouraged the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. So just kind of picture this. Here is Ahab and here is Jehoshaphat sitting in the gate of the city. Here's these 400 guys. That's a lot of people. And they're probably running around and goring each other and go up against the Syrians. And here's Jehoshaphat. He wants to hear from Micaiah. So the messenger goes and gets Micaiah. He's bringing him over and says, Micaiah, you better say what the king wants to hear. You better encourage him. You better be agreeing with these other guys. And again, there is a tendency that we see even in the church that is a trend more and more that there are those that are ministering in churches and behind the pulpits that are saying anything to please the people. Hey, I'm going to talk about that which is going to you know, please people. I don't want to bum people out. And there are more and more that are saying we're not going to talk about sin. We're not going to talk about repentance. We're not going to talk about, you know, living a life after the Lord. We're not going to talk about holiness or righteousness. We're going to just let the people, you know, tell them that God loves you and you can live any way that you want. Listen, God does love you the way that you are. But he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And he does call us into repentance, to put away our sin, to walk after him. And again, as we will see in 1 John, that John says that this is the love of God, keep his commandments. You see, what John is saying in that is something that we need to understand, and we'll explore it more when we get to 1 John chapter 5. But here's the thing, every commandment of the Lord is an expression of his love, do you know that? And because he loves you so much, he says, stay away from sin, turn to me, Walk in holiness and righteousness. You're going to be blessed. I don't want you to be in bondage to sin. I don't want you to experience the repercussions and consequences that are so terrible because of sin. I don't want you to be deceived. And me as a pastor, what I am to do is to give you the truth of God's word. And sometimes as we go through these you know, passages, especially as we go through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse and book by book, not every message is going to be a feel-good message or an easy message. And you can be one, and people do this, that they will travel from church to church and not deal with sin, not deal with issues that they need to deal with, attitudes of the hearts, whatever it is. And they will travel from church to church till they find a ministry or a church that will you know, justify them living in sin or a lifestyle of sin. And you'll find it. It's out there somewhere. Where you can sit there and, you know what? Pastor isn't going to get heavy. He isn't going to talk about sin. He isn't going to talk about repentance. He isn't going to talk about any of those things. But it's going to be entertainment. It's going to be hype. It's going to be all these other things. I want you guys to hear my heart on this. I'm not being overly critical and saying all the churches are like this. But what I am saying is we see a trend of this more and more in the church today, especially at large, especially what we see in our society. And you can do that. You can go and you can find a church that's going to say everything that you agree with, that you want to hear, rather than what does God's word have to say to me. So here are these guys, you know, they're saying what it is that Ahab wants to hear. And the messenger says, you need to let your word be like them and speak encouragement. In verse 14, as Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And that needs to be our heart and mindset. Amen. We need to say, you know what? I'm not going to give you just my opinions, my ideas, what it is that I think. When we talk with people, when we counsel with them, you give them the word of God. Because if you're not giving them the word of God, you're truly not helping them. And sometimes we can think, well, I don't want to give them, you know, the truth and sound too heavy or too religious or I don't want people to not like me and, and all of this. We need to love people enough to give them the truth because love and truth go together. And so give people the word of God. The one thing that I have to give to you, two things, is God's love and God's truth that's going to benefit you. 
So Micaiah is saying, I'll, I'll speak what the Lord tells me to speak. And then the king, or he came to the king, verse 15, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered them, go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So here, Micaiah obviously is being sarcastic. There's something in his voice uh, that is sarcastic because Ahab knows he's not being truthful and honest in his response. He's saying, you know what? Tell me the truth on this. You know, swear that you'll tell the truth. So he's going to, verse 17. So Micaiah says this, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? And then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by, and on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up, that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. And then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, In what ways? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord also said, you shall persuade him and also prevail, go out and do so. In verse 23, therefore look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. So Micaiah says, okay, you want the truth? Here it is, that I saw Israel scattered all throughout the mountains without a shepherd because the master is gone. In other words, you're a dead man, Ahab. You're going to be killed, and your army is going to be defeated. And I saw a vision of heaven. And in this vision, there are these, you know, ones that are around the throne of God and these, these you know, different fallen beings, obviously, is what it is. And we don't understand everything about the, the spirit world and everything. We do know that Job talks about um, in uh, Job chapter 1, you remember that the sons of God passed before the throne of God and it was God that said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He said, yeah. So Satan has access to heaven. He doesn't live there, but the scriptures give indication that he has access. We know Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, that Satan is the accuser of the brethren who accuses us day and night, constantly. We see that vision there in Zechariah chapter 4 of there is Satan that is, you know, coming against Joshua as they're standing before the Lord. So here in this vision, there's these, you know, fallen spirits and one of them is going to be used, the Lord's going to allow, to go and put a lying, you know, uh, truth, or lying truth, that doesn't make sense, um, a lying spirit that's going to put a lie into the mouths of these 400 prophets. And here's the thing, that Ahab is allowed to, to know what is going on in this vision and the word of the Lord, and he still has a chance to repent, but he doesn't. He doesn't do it. We saw that Ahab, when judgment was pronounced against him, as you recall in chapter 20, because he let the king of Syria go, and the prophet came and said, because you did that, your life is going to be taken, because you spared the king of Syria, and you should have done away with him. You should have put him away. We know that in chapter 21, that because of the sin of him and Jezebel and killing Naboth, that it was Elijah that said and pronounced judgment on Ahab and said, Ahab, you're going to be killed. Judgment is going to come in your household. And we see in the response of Ahab in both times that he was remorseful. He, you know, fasted. He put on sackcloth and ashes, but he didn't truly repent. And I want to remind you again, as Paul was writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians in chapter 7, verse 10, that he would say that there is worldly sorrow that leads to death. But godly repentance leads to salvation not to be regretted. In other words, there is a difference between worldly you know, sorrow and being remorseful and true repentance. And just being remorseful and just sorry for what you have done is not the same as repentance. Repentance is something that's going to lead to salvation. In other words, you turn to Jesus Christ. Salvation 
That is part of the gospel message. You need to turn away from your sin, turn to Jesus Christ. The message is, and you surrender yourself to him, surrender your heart to him, and come to him. He loves you so much. He wants to save you. But also, when we find ourselves, you know, that we are, you know, involved in sin or committed sin or we struggle with sin, that the Lord calls us to turn away from that. And anyone who really repents, humble themselves, and turns to the Lord, and you see, repentance, as I've said, that word repent is a very wonderful word, that we have opportunity to even do that. That the Lord calls us, come to me because of my love for me. That you will never, ever regret it. But I have talked to people, and perhaps you have known people as well, that they've done something wrong, and they're experiencing, they've committed sin, or a sinful act, or living a lifestyle of sin, or experiencing the consequences and repercussions of it, and they'll be remorseful, but they have no real interest in turning from their sin, in repenting. They got sorry for, you know, they're, they're sorry for the consequences they're experiencing, or, you know, the difficulties that they're going through, but not really any desire to turn to the Lord. That was Ahab. He was remorseful, but he wasn't truly repentant. And that's why Paul says that there's worldly sorrow that just leads to death. It's just bad news is what he's saying. But true repentance will never be regretted. And you're going to experience the grace and the forgiveness of the Lord and his help as you do that. So here is Ahab refusing, even though he's told this is going to happen. Verse 24, Zedekiah, the son of Karnaanah, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from um, me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. So the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return him to Amnon and governor of the city and Joash, the king's son. In verse 27, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread and affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed all you people. So here, Micaiah is persecuted. He is struck. He's thrown in prison. He's taken away. And um, Ahab says that take him away until I come and see him once again. And here's Micaiah says, listen, if you see me, Ahab, then I didn't speak the word of the Lord. Again, putting that condition of, you know what, the Lord speaks 100% truth. But Ahab, as we're going to see here as we continue reading, is going to die in battle. And I just want to say this, as you speak the word of the Lord, guys know that persecution will come to you in one form of, of another. It may be somebody who says, oh, you're just being self-righteous. Who are you to tell me? You know, you speak all this religious stuff. There will be those that will strike you with harsh words and mean words. They will ostracize you. They, you know, there will be all kinds of things that will happen. People at work may be coming against you, even family members that will persecute you because the scripture says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And I think that we need to kind of get away from the mindset that sometimes that is put on Christians that being a Christian is cool. It is being cool, but the world isn't going to see it as being cool. The world's going to hate you. Jesus said that the world's going to hate you because it first hated me, and it's going to hate you for my namesake. The world is in rebellion against God. That's why we're told not to love the world or the things of the world. We love those in the world, but don't love the worldly system. Don't prioritize the things of the world, but as you do stand for the kingdom of God, you're going to see that the world's going to come against you, and there are going to be those who will come against you, and that's what's happening here. So we continue reading in verse 29. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, saying, Fight with no one, small or great, but only with the king of Israel. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the 
king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. So Jehoshaphat and Ahab go to battle. Ahab sets up Jehoshaphat. He says, I'll disguise myself. You go ahead and you go in your royal robes. So, you know, here's Jehoshaphat going out there with this big bullseye on his back. Why he would do that, I do not understand, except to say that this guy didn't have a lick of sense at all. And you think about this, and it's like, hello, Jehoshaphat, you heard the prophecy, Ahab's going to die, and now he's setting you up. You know, you go out there in your, your robes, you know, you be me. And you go out there, and you be the king. I'll disguise myself. And Jehoshaphat, maybe he's thinking, all right, great, I get to be Ahab. I get to be Ahab wannabe, whatever it is. <laughs> Paul writing again to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Here were these Corinthian believers accepting all these guys. Paul says, we don't compare ourselves with others. And there can be a tendency in our lives that we want to compare ourselves to somebody else or we want to be somebody else. And the scripture says, you just be who you are. And God has a wonderful plan for you. He has a ministry for you. He has an anointing for you. You remember in the Old Testament that when they made the holy anointing oil, that no one was to come along and duplicate that. You don't have to try to be somebody else. And listen, don't compare yourself to anybody else. Because either you will be all puffed up, look, I'm so much better than them, I'm doing a whole lot better, or you're going to get discouraged, and usually that's what happens. Somebody who, you know, that is a lot smarter than you, or a lot prettier, prettier than you, or got more money, more prestige, you know, whatever it may be. And we can begin to compare ourselves to others, and it begins to affect us, and we get down, and why aren't I like them? Just be who you are. God made you unique and has a plan for you, and he loves you. He gave you a personality. That's what I love about the body of Christ is all of us, and I see as the church grows, and on Sunday mornings, all the different people that are coming, we all have different backgrounds and experiences and personalities, and there is you know, our common love for Jesus Christ that brings us together. And I love the uniqueness and the individuality of people that are in the body of Christ. So don't compare yourself to others. Don't, you know, it's easy for me to compare me and this ministry to other ministries. Why don't we have a huge building? And why don't we have these programs? And why don't we have this? And I want to be them want to be in all of this. But God has privilege me to have a ministry and to pastor this church and to be content. And why Jehoshaphat would want to go out and with his royal robes trying to be Ahab or whatever it may be, I don't understand. He should have known that the Syrians were looking to kill the king. So here are these 32, you know, guys were told, don't worry about the other guys, you go after the king. And it says that here Jehoshaphat cries out when he sees these guys are going to kill him. And we know from Second Chronicles that it is told that the Lord uh, would intervene and he would turn these people away um, as he cried out to the Lord, Jehoshaphat did. And so his life is spared. In verse 34, now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound into the floor of the chariot. And then as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout the army, saying, every man to his city and every man to his own country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. In verse 38, then someone washed the chariot in a pool um, at a pool in Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed, according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken. So the fulfillment that we saw that was given in the previous chapter, that Ahab, you're going to die, the dogs are going to lick up your blood while the harlots are bathing. Nice life, Ahab. And the opportunity that God gave to you to repent and turn to him the opportunities that he gave as you saw the mighty hand of God, the truthfulness of God, the prophets that came to you, but yet you ignored that. My prayer is if by chance there's anyone that is here tonight 
you're listening to this message or wherever you are, that if you haven't turned to the Lord, that you would do that. That you would give your heart to Jesus Christ because he loves you. And he is your only hope. He went to the cross and died for you specifically and individually. And see, as you come to him and confess that you are a sinner because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and as you surrender your heart to him and believe in him, you will be saved. Believing that God raised him from the dead, and as you do that, salvation is promised to us. Today is the day of salvation. It's what the scripture says. You will be saved. And I pray that none of us here, if we're all saved or anyone in a coffee shop or anybody listening to this message on the radio later, that if you have not given your heart to Jesus Christ, he is your salvation. And he's given you opportunity to hear the gospel, that you might turn to him and receive forgiveness and right relationship with the Father and the hope of heaven. Ahab, he rejected it. And now the word of the Lord was fulfilled. So verse 39, the rest of the acts of Ahab, Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house which he built, and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. In verse 41, Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year, Ahab, king of Israel. And Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shalhai. And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. And also Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Verse 45, now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, that it might be that he showed and how he made war, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of his father Asa, he banished from the land. And there was then no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. And Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked in Ezion Geber. And Asa... Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships, but Jehoshaphat would not. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father, then Jeroram, his son, reigned in his place. So here's the thing. Ahab dies, his son Azariah becomes the king. He, first of all, as we see Jehoshaphat, his reign being spoken of, he's now the king. Again, we've got to put on our thinking caps a little bit because Ahab's the king of Israel. Now we go down to the house of Judah down south where Jehoshaphat is king. And during his reign, a couple of things. He, this was right in the sight of the Lord, but he kept the high places. What does that mean? You remember that when the children of Israel were coming into the promised land that the Lord said, listen, that you just don't set up sacrifices and places of worship anywhere. And what the Canaanites did is they had these high places that they had to worship their false gods and Canaanite gods. And when the children of Israel would go in and begin to worship the Canaanite gods, they would go to those high places and get involved in false worship and perverted things and immorality and all of this that took place in the high places and wooded areas and, and false worship. And you see, here is Jehoshaphat he gets rid of the perverted persons that were in the land, but he did not get rid of the high places. And there was sacrifice going on, and, and there was, you know, other things, incense that was being burnt in these high places. Now, at this time that Jehoshaphat is ruling, that they were doing sacrifices to the Lord, probably, and burning incense to the Lord. But you remember that the Lord said, I will appoint a place where you do the sacrifices. And that place was where? in Jerusalem. And that's where Solomon built the temple where they were to bring the sacrifices. In other words, the Lord just didn't want them going up on any hill, you know, and doing sacrifices and burning incense. So here's the bottom line, all right? 
The bottom line is this, because the high places were left there, even though they were doing sacrifices and burning incense to the Lord, it still was a temptation because later on, those high places are going to be used for false worship once again. And it was Ahaz or Jehoshaphat and Asa that did not get rid of those high places. They left the temptation for the people. We will see that some of the kings of Judah got rid of those high places. They got rid of the temptation for the people to just go and do that and be disobedient and leave those places for later on that they would be involved in idol worship. You see, here's the application for you and for me, that right now things may be good. Right now it's like, oh, I went to church and I worshiped and I sacrificed unto the Lord, you know, a song of praise and, and um, I'm serving the Lord. But do you have a high place that is in your life that you can turn to real easily and there's a temptation? Is there something in your home that maybe there's a temptation you can go home and pull up something on the computer that you're not supposed to and you know that it's wrong? Or maybe that cable channel or whatever it might be. Are there the high places and the places of temptation that you still have in your, lap, in your life? And if there is, get rid of them, all right? Get rid of them. So you won't fall into that trap that the people of Judah did in going back to them and committing sin once again. Second of all, Jehoshaphat once again yokes himself in building ships to go to Ophir with Azariah. He yokes himself in this business venture. He thought his ship was going to come in. It actually went down. It sank. And the thing is, you might think, as you yoke yourself with an unbeliever, whether it's in a business venture or whether it's in a relationship that is not godly and you know that it's wrong, and you might think, hey, everything's cool. My ship's going to come in. It's not going to come in. It's going to sink. And that's what Jehoshaphat would find out. And so here is Azariah coming back and saying, hey, let's do this again. And Jehoshaphat, he wised up and he said, no, we're not going to do this. In verse 51, as we finish tonight, Azariah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria. In the 17th year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father and the way of his mother, in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. For he served Baal and worshipped him, provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger, according to all that his father had done. And so, Father, we come and we just thank you for this Bible study. We thank you that we can make application and there's so much to learn from this chapter. And Lord, I pray that we would take these things and what they mean for us and how we apply it in our lives. Lord, that we would now just allow you to have it be worked out in our lives. And Father, you've given us your word. You've given us, um, Lord, how we should live in your commandments and your principles because you do love us and you want what's best for us. And so, Father, I just pray that we would take heed and not ignore it like Ahab. Father, I pray if there is anyone who's listening to this message that perhaps never have truly given themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, and now, and today is the day of salvation. That the Lord, as he knocks on the door of your heart, that you would open up your heart to him. And you would confess your need for him. And surrender your life to him in your heart right now. Because he wants to save you. He's your only salvation. Their salvation is found in no one else or nothing else. It's only in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, I come preaching nothing but Jesus and him crucified. And that's what we preach here. Our need for Jesus because we are sinners in need of the Savior. So if that's you, will you just simply say a prayer of Jesus? I believe that you are the Son of God who died for me. And I confess that I am a sinner. I've fallen short. I've missed the mark. And I now turn to you and I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior because I believe that Jesus, you died on the cross for me and for my sins. Forgive me. 
And I believe that you rose again and that you're alive and your word is true. And you're knocking on the door of my heart and I let you in right now. My life is not my own. And I turn to you. And I surrender my heart to you. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. And Father, I pray for the one that may be here that's thinking, Lord, I do have a high place. I got an area of temptation that I haven't gotten rid of. And you've been dealing with me about that. And as we talk about, there's a difference between being remorseful and true repentance. That the Lord desires for you to put away that sin. He wants to help you because we can't do it in our own flesh. And we struggle with the flesh and we war against the flesh in this world. How we need the Spirit to enable us, empower us, Lord. And I pray that, first of all, you would do that. That you would just fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. And that we would make the right decisions to get rid of those high places of our lives and the temptations that are there, Lord. That our homes would be places of peace and purity. Places that please you, Lord. And Father, in our own hearts, and it's hard when there's so much darkness that is around us. And temptations of the world and the pleasures of the world pulling at us constantly. But Lord, we know that the enemy is a deceiver and a liar. And those things only put us in bondage. But our hearts would be, Lord, to be free to live for you, to be blessed by you. Lord, I know that there are those who aren't feeling well. I pray for a healing touch, that you would just touch them and minister to them. I just pray that you would, Lord, encourage those who have challenges or difficult decisions to make that we would always look to you and inquire of you as we come to you day by day, morning by morning, knowing that you desire to lead us and be that voice behind us saying this is the way, walk in it. So again, we thank you for this time. Lord, take everybody home safely tonight. And it's in Jesus' name.